Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this episode, we're going to be continuing on the Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time, 80 through 71. We're also going to be reviewing a couple games. We're going to be taking a look at a newer release by Alexander Fitzer, which is Sky Mines. And then we're also going to be reviewing Long Shot the Dice Game. So what have you been up to, Bob? <laughs> you... <laughs> You know what I've been up to. I am cranky. So I am so cranky. Okay. Some people don't know. um, I had, past tense, had horrible vision. I've been wearing glasses since I was six years old, and I finally took the plunge and got my eyes fixed so I can actually see. Uh, Long story short, it wasn't actually LASIK. It was a thing called PRK. If anyone's had it, they know what I'm talking about. Long story short, they just do the outside of the eye. Well, after you get that done, you have to go back for some follow-up appointments just to make sure everything's healing correctly, blah, blah, blah. I had one of those appointments today, and it was at 1.30 in the afternoon. I get there at like 1.25, because if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just my neuroses. Anyway, so I get there. I get in the waiting room, and it's probably 10 minutes or so before they finally call me back, That's which isn't bad. that bad. Not that bad. But the way these appointments work is they take you back, they basically check your vision, do a couple other things. They check like my eye pressure, and then they put you into the inner waiting room, which then you get to go see the doctor, okay? Which is really important, right? This is important because that is usually the longest wait time. Oh. It, it typically is so long that I brought my book with me, and I wasn't even going to like play around on my phone. But I kid you not, I sat in that inner waiting room for over an hour waiting to be seen. It got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ask how much longer this is going to be because realistically, this appointment is useless to me because it's not all it's doing is checking my eyes and my eyes feel fine. Mm-hmm. Finally, I get called back and the nurse is saying, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we got we got a little bit behind this afternoon, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just not saying anything because I'm irritated. And if I'm not going to say anything nice, I'm not going to say anything at all. It's either, and I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that, oh, it's okay, because it's not. Like, it's wasting my time. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how I feel. You know, I can't, I've, long appointments at the doctor's office drive me crazy. So yeah. it's like they can get away with being late. But if I'm late, like, it's a, it's a problem. It's anyway. It's $50 usually. Or $30. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's a, there's a late fee or your appointment gets completely like canceled, that kind of stuff. It just drives me nuts that they have a different set of standards. Anyway, she finally pulls me back into the, the room. She says that I don't really say anything, whatever. The doctor comes in. Hi, Robert. How are you? Good. How are your eyes? Fine. You have 20-20 vision. Cool. And so then he looks at my eyes. Yep, everything's healed fine. Okay. And then... Is it okay if you come back in a, at a one-year anniversary? Sure. All right. Have a good day. <laughs> so you spent a whole hour just so he could look at your eyes and go, yep, they're healing good. Like, like I'm sure the stuff that the, the tech did beforehand where she checked your eye pressure, all that mattered. But then, like, let you go. And then if it, like, doesn't turn out good, bring you back. To speak That's what with I'm saying. It just, all he did uh, was have me put, if anyone who has glasses, you know what I'm talking about. You put your little chin on the thing. You should put your chin on there and then you and then they have the light that they flash in your eye and they kind of like pivot it to see all your cornea. And yeah, apparently good news is my eyes fine. 
I just I just don't understand why he was running a whole hour late if that's like literally all he does with his patients. I the thing is normally it takes a while in the inner waiting room. It doesn't normally takes a little bit, but not an hour. That was ridiculous. That hour thing was just it was egregious. It was unbelievable. I'm in a terrible mood. This is gonna be a fantastic episode. Tasha's <laughs> gonna talk about stuff and I'm just gonna be mean the whole time. <laughs> That'll be exactly like it always is. <laughs> It's going to be the exact same episode you're everyone's accustomed to. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a cranky, cranky apparently, Yeah, apparently I'm, I'm cranky McCrankerton. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about some games, huh? Sure. All right. First up, I want to talk about the game Sky Mines. This is a card management stock holding game designed by Alexander Fitzter and Victor Kobelicki. Art by Javier Sava published by Deep Print Games. 50 years ago, humanity began mining the moon and asteroids, and for decades that task was in the hands of the world government. But recent events have caused this to collapse. Now companies are taking over the mining network. As investors, the players are trying to earn the most crypt coin by investing in these companies. Before I get into the game, I, would, I do want to note that this is basically a reprint of Mombasa. So if you've played Mombasa, most of this is going to be very familiar to you. There are a couple different tweaks, obviously the theme being one of them. Sky Mines is played over the course of seven rounds. Each round has three phases. The first phase of the game is the planning phase. In this phase, players will be taking cards into available action slots below their player board. They begin with three slots, but they can unlock up to two more. This phase sets the tone for the rest of the phases, because these cards are what will allow you to take actions. There are several card types you can get in the game. There are three types of resource cards. There's carbon, minerals, and titanium. You can also get cards with energy, field scientists, and research scientists. Once players have played the cards they wish, they move into the action phase. This is where players will use those cards played to take one of the six actions in turn order. The first being using the resource cards. Players will use the resource, resources they play to acquire new cards or advance on company tracks that give you shares in those companies. The second action is using their energy. This is how players will advance the different companies' influence on the main board. You decide which company you want to expand and place their corresponding houses onto the main board, usually gaining some sort of benefit. You can use a research scientist, which allows you to advance on one of the two tracks on your main board, scoring points and unlocking another card slot. Same is true for the field scientist. This lets you advance on a, the other track on your player board. The next action you can do is place a bonus marker. Each player starts with several depending on the player count, and you can claim majority spaces if you have the most resources displayed in front of you, or you can gain bonus tiles, things like that. And lastly, you can end the action phase. When you are done taking actions, you can move into the third phase of the round, the prepare, preparation for next round phase. Here's where you will gain some of the cards you played back into your hand. The way this works is as the game progresses, when you are done taking actions, you'll be moving your cards above your player board into available card spaces, which corresponds to the spaces available to play cards beneath. So this is the one of the key differences between this game and Mombasa. Mombasa, there, wherever you've played your card, you have to put it up on that available spot right above it. This game, however, allows you to make your choice as to where you place that card. So it gives you a little bit more freedom. Once you've played seven rounds, you're going to score based off how many coins you have, the shares you have in all the four companies, and how far you have advanced on those different tracks on your board. Uh, this was a super basic overview. 
um, because there's actually quite a bit going on in this game. But that is the basic gist of how a game flows. I think what makes this game interesting is how you play your action cards. So you play them to the board and then they start piling up when you move them. So there's this interesting kind of forward planning that you have to do with the cards as you play them. Yeah, that's kind of my favorite part of the game, actually, because you get all these cards and then at the end of it, you're you're separating them out. So you you play maybe three cards and then you put them one in each pile. But before you do that, you grab up another pile that's already there. So you're not going to have those three cards again. You're going to have different cards. And it might not be three. You might grab a pile of only two cards. and then, Or you might have a pile that builds up. And the way that you, what cards you get back is really, really interesting. And I don't think I've seen a game that does something similar. I think it's really unique. Like I stated, one of the main differences between this particular version and Mombasa is in Mombasa, wherever you play the cards, that is the slot it's going to move up to. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, you can kind of just you just play whatever cards you want wherever. And then at the end of the phase is when you can say, all right, I'm going to pull this pile, put it into my hand, and then let me see where I want to put these cards. Yeah, I don't think that you necessarily have more freedom. I think you just the decision to be made is later, which is nice. So you're going to make the decision when you're placing the cards up at the top, opposed to making the decision before you do your turn, where you place them in the bottom. And where you place them in the bottom has no relevance at all to the turn, so it literally doesn't matter. So it's really nice to be able to place them at the top where you want at the end of your turn. Have you played Mombasa by chance? No, I haven't. Okay. the What I found, at least my feeling playing this game over Mombasa, is because it feels like you have more freedom, I guess more like you have a lot more information than you do. So think of it this way. Mm-hmm. Out of the seven rounds, you're making the decision about where the card is going to slot in the beginning part of round one. Or you do it at the end of round one. So at the end of round one, you already have the information of how everything is already kind of started to progress within the game. So you're able to make more informed decisions with what you want to, which pile you want to take and where you want it, what kind of turn that you want to eventually set up. So then you scoop a pile of like six cards and then you have a bunch of cards you can use. Yeah, I'm excited to play this game more and explore that. I feel like the decisions I made with where to place them were just like, all right, I'm going to place my best card on top of my best card so I get better cards next time. And I think there's a lot of strategy and a lot of decisions about where you place them, um, what cards you're picking up that um, you can really explore and get better at as you play the game more. Yes, 100%. This game is going to reward those additional plays. I think you're going to be able to really hone in on a strategy. And I want to say, because you start off with three available card slots where you're going to be playing cards and then you can unlock to up to two more. So you're, you're, you can get up to five. Mm-hmm. And I think the natural instinct for new players is if I have more spots, I can do more things. Yes. But you're limited but by the number of cards you have. 100%. I made that mistake the second time I played. So the first time I was kind of slow to unlock it. The second time I'm, like, I'm going to unlock it right away. Unlocked it right away. Played my cards. Now I've got five cards that go up in five different slots. So when I'm taking cards, I'm taking less at a time back into my hand because I played more of them so I have and now I have less cards left and all of a sudden one turn I had like two cards left to play I'm like oh I have four spots but two cards so that was a big mistake because I wasn't buying cards I think that was probably the mistake like I had been focusing if you're going to do that strategy focus on buying cards you you definitely need to man there's a lot of little things to manage outside of just simply taking the actions and Mm -hmm. I think that's the one of the downfalls of like trying to explain this game is 
there's so much more involved in the way you take turns and how you develop your strategy outside of just, okay, these are the actions you're going to do. So for example, one of the tracks is I think helium where you do one scientist and you're basically just climbing this track. That's all you're doing. And when you get past certain points, you'll get, uh, you'll get that extra card slot. The other track is a lot more complicated because it's a scientist track and you're trying to essentially develop, I think, patents, but you have to acquire them from the board and put them down. But sometimes you can flip them and you can only advance as far as what the cards allow you to. Mm-hmm. There's so many times I've been playing this game where in my head, I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And I play my cards and I'm like, oh, dang it. That's mm-hmm. not what I wanted to do because now I can't do this thing that I really have been trying to accomplish. And I set up from last turn to this turn. Yes, there is a lot to manage in this game. It's it's a lot to learn. It's a little bit overwhelming. My only complaint, I think, with this game is the iconography is not easy to understand. Once you learn it, it's fine, of course, but they have pictures of what to do. So you're like, okay, I see that picture, but nowhere on my board does it say what the picture actually means. You know, so there's no like continuality of these um, iconographies like, if I had a picture on the board and then a picture on my mat that meant that that associates with that, it'd be fine. So it's it's hard to learn on top of the iconography being tricky, you know, but I did pick it up by the second game. It was totally fine. It, that's my only complaint, though. I feel like the iconography in Mombasa was a little bit easier to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. So in there, if you're going to expand onto the board, you were going to you had uh, like a little explorer hats. Yeah, you had bananas and a bunch of other like random resources here. You're if you're expanding, you're using energy, which I, I mean kind of makes sense. But like I don't know, I just this seems this seemed to make it more complicated than it needed to be. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. it could have been simplified with some clear iconography or the yeah the energy is fine. But I do have a question when it comes to scoring points. So one of the main ways you're going to score points is by getting shares within companies. And advancing their, well, I'll call them houses because they look like little houses, but you're basically Mm -hmm. moving them onto the board, claiming territories, gaining bonuses, things like that. But you have to have a certain amount. If you have shares in the company, you end up multiplying that by how many like coins are exposed after those houses. So it's very, it feels very much like a, like a stock kind of game. Do you like that? Um, I don't typically like those style of games because I just don't know, like, which ones I should be betting on, how they're going to play out. So those usually stress me out. Um, I don't know, like, should I invest heavy into one or should I try to spread out? Should I be the one putting out the resources? I mean, once I've invested into one, then I'm definitely putting out those little houses onto the board so that that track increases. Or do I just kind of let it sit and, and wait and see what other people are going for, do a little bit of everything, let them do all the heavy lifting and just kind of try to ride on their coattails? Um, mm-hmm. so I, I enjoy it in Mombasa. I, I, I don't have like the stack thing all figured out. You know, I, I definitely struggle with how, what to do with these style of games, but I enjoyed it quite a bit in Mombasa. Um, I mean, Sky Mines. Oh, sorry. Sky. I enjoyed it quite a bit in Sky Mines. So I'm, I'm still opening, open to liking the style of game. I didn't think I did, but I'm starting to like it a little bit more, but I don't still have it figured. I don't yet have it figured out. So I don't know. I don't know. What Do you like these stock manipulation types of games? I think it depends on the type of game it is. So you, you do end up betting on certain ones. And it, there is this, it's all about timing, it feels like. it's it, In some ways, it reminds me of like area control, 
where you're just biding your time, seeing who does what, where do you maybe all of a sudden like try to get in on this one company that somebody is pushing a lot in? Do you maybe instead of that, try to do something completely different in the very first game we played you and Dan were very much doing this one specific company and I avoided that company and I ended up trying to clear your stuff off the board with a different company. Yeah, that's another thing you can do is manipulate it that way, yeah. So there's a there's a lot of those little things like that and it's all about it feels it's all about timing. When do I do this? When do I move forward? When do I commit to something? When do I just kind of wait to see that type of thing? Mm-hmm. And then you'll be out of action so you gotta kind of start early like if you want to get up a track all the way to get a lot of shares of it you can have to start early too so you can't wait too long yeah it's it's a it's a what do i invest in i'm not gonna invest in anything so what do i choose yes what do you think about the uh like claiming the milestones and different things like that not milestones but majorities oh that's fun i like that a lot so at the start of your turn or it could be any time during the turn. Whoever has the majority of this resource played gets to claim that majority. Well, if it's tied, you can't claim it. So then it's kind of a little uh, who's going to hold out longer to spend those resources. And that's really, really fun. I like that a lot. And they have one for energy and one of the three, each of the three resources. And I'm like, Bob and I are tied. Well, being first player isn't an advantage in this situation because if we both are like are holding out to the end, First player is going to hit it first, likely, because they'll have less actions to do, you know, and and sometimes you need to use those to do what, the other thing you wanted to do. So I, I like that. That's probably my favorite or tied with favorite of um, mechanics in this game. The funny thing is it follows this pattern of, all right, I'm going to claim it as soon as I possibly can. So the first turns are a lot of us claiming majorities if we can, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't sometimes feel great. Because then you're ignoring something else. Yeah. If, if, you're not, if I'm not claiming the majority, then I can have the best action on the board. Yeah. Or I can claim the best, cheapest card that's available. And maybe that card's really juicy. But you have to spend your resources to do it. So do I spend my resources to do it, losing my majority in that particular resource, giving it to Natasha, but I get this super awesome card into my hand that I can use mm-hmm. next round? That's the type of decisions you're making in this game, which I just love. You have two workers. So if you claim two majorities, there's your workers. So there are other things you might want to do on the board too. So maybe you don't even want to get that majority if you, even if you have it. So there's definitely a lot. It's, it feels very, like there's a lot of tension. It feels very tight with a lot of tension, a lot of big decisions. Um, I won't say simple turns, but overall fairly simple turns. Once you kind of get the hang of it, you're not doing too many different things. But man, does it feel like uh, what you do matters. Most of the actions that you can do, I think, are for the most part straightforward, except one of the scientist actions that allows you to move forward on the the patent track. Essentially, that that action is a little finicky. It's a little, you know, it could. It's fine. That's the one that's the most complicated. I would say out of all of them, that's the one that I think people are going to get hung up on the most. All right, so let's get into ratings. What would you rate this game? I'm going to rate it an eight. I liked it quite a bit. I'm coming in at a nine. I really like this game. It's definitely in the top five Fister games for me. I definitely do like it. Um, I think it does some really interesting things. It's tight, like you say. It almost The tightness almost reminds me of like a Vladimir Suchi game as opposed mm-hmm. to a Fister game. Just you have a certain number of rounds and you always feel like 
you're trying to accomplish more than you're able to accomplish. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I would recommend giving this game a try if you like deep, you know, complicated, tight Euro games You with some of that. I want to call it like programming your cards. It's definitely management. It's definitely a hand management, but you're doing a little bit of programming, a little foresight, a bunch of different things. You're going to have like obviously that uh, stock investment type thing. So if you like that stuff, I would definitely say give this game a try. So that is Skymines. All right. Next up, I want to talk about Long Shot the Dice Game. So this is a roll and write horse racing game. It's designed by Chris Handy, arts by Klaus Souza, and it's published by Perplexed. In this game, players are betting on which of the eight horses are going to win this one race in order to try to earn the most points. On a turn, one player rolls two dice. One's eight-sided. One's for, uh, each side is for each horse. Whatever horse is rolled moves however many spaces as the other dice indicates. That horse may trigger other horses to move with it. Then each pay- player gets to do one action with that same die. So the first thing you can do is buy a horse. So if you own that horse and, it's, and it wins, you can score extra points. And you also get a special ability that only that horse had. And each um, horse can only be bought by one person. You can place a bet on a horse. You cross off, Or you can cross off the jerseys on the horse, which lets you select another horse that will move whenever that horse moves in the future. Another thing you could do is cross off a helmet of the color horse. That allows you to continue betting on the horse even after they have crossed the line when no more betting is allowed. You can do a concession action, which gives you a special action once uh, a row or column is filled in. At the end of the game, you'll score for all your horses that you own that placed first, second, or third, any leftover money you have, all sets of helmets and jerseys you've had, and all bets you've made. You can even score for the horse that didn't win as long as they cross the no more bets line. Um, it, I love the artwork. It's it's a nice little small box game. Um, it feels very different. I can't help but compare it to Ready, Set, Bet. feels very different than Ready, Set, Bet. Ready, Set, Bet is very much a real-time betting game or this this game you've got a lot more options um it's still you're rolling the dice and seeing which one wins however you have a little bit more control how you can help your horse that you want to win win you know so so that you kind of have an early on which like okay i'll bet for this red horse because the red horse is going to move every time it's rolled or every time the pink horse is rolled. And so you've got a lot more control. So it's very, it feels it's a horse racing game, but it feels very different than ready, set, bet. Does it truly feel like a racing game with how it works? Yes, because every time it's somebody's turn, so you kind of pass the dice around. Mm-hmm. If you're the active player, you roll the dice and whatever height horse you roll that horse moves and you've got a little track in the middle of the table and you move the horse so that horse moves and any other horses are going to move that are associated with that one um so yeah it absolutely does because the horses move around the track and you're rooting for them you're like come on red come on red you know and it just comes down to a dice roll i understand that it just seems to me because it's not a real-time game and they're not necessarily moving in real time it doesn't quite feel like a race game. Sure, sure. It's not near as exciting and um, wild, you know, as a, that type type of game. I don't know of very many games that are a real time racing game. So this is a racing game, just as if like Formula E or um, those other style games were like you play a card and you you move, you you roll the dice and you move. You know, it's not real time, but that's pretty normal for racing. So I'd still yeah, I suppose a that's true. Game. This is more like a, but you know, it's really all about the batting. So you're not necessarily trying to get your car in first. 
put your horse in first, although you definitely want it if it's your horse because you'll score a lot of points if you're you own the horse that wins. But it it feels different. I think the best thing about this game is that it goes up to seven players and it's just fine at seven. You know, you're going to not take as many. You won't be the active player rolling the dice, but that doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter who rolls the dice. It's the same. Everyone gets a turn based on what's rolled. Um, it's a really great game that plays. It's a nice little small game that plays quickly with up to a lot of players. I think it's a lot of fun. Is it only limited to seven based on the components in the box? Because typically roll and write games, you can play a hundred people as long as everyone had their own components. Um, It would be a hard because you can buy a horse and there's only so many horses in the game, you know, so a lot of people wouldn't be able to get that horse because only one person can buy each horse. So gotcha. I would say okay. yes, I would limit it to seven. Okay, gotcha. Cl- mm-hmm. Clearly, I have not played this game. No, no, you haven't. <laughs> and it's not because it's a roll and write. Well, maybe it is. It it, it doesn't feel like a roll. Well, it, it totally does feel like a roll and write because as the dice are rolled, you're like, ooh, do I want to do a concession? Because I can, if I collect enough, I'll get bonus actions. You know, I could just take money. I could um, win my bonus action or I could get, you know, do a special thing, you know, and which horses, you know, green roll. I don't want to bet on the green horse. And I guess I can collect these helmet. You can get points for collection of helmets and uh, jerseys too. So there's a lot of different things you can do to, to get points. It's not just you could, your horse could win the race, but you could still lose the game because you could be getting money other ways. In that regard, it actually reminds me a little bit about downforce. You, your car doesn't necessarily need to win in order for you to win the game. You get a lot of points in this one for your horse winning, but you can also bet on other horses and get a lot of points that way. So if you know somebody else is working really hard to get green to win, you can go ahead and bet on that horse and you get, you could win money that way too. Which do you like better, this one or Ready, Set, Bet? I like Ready, Set, Bet better because I like the real-time aspect of it. You know, but this one was light and fun and, and just as it was enjoyable, I would play it again. It's probably not my favorite, but I, I liked it. Quite a bit. I, I'm going to rate it a seven. So just to give you an idea of where it comes in at. Cool. Nice. I, I appreciate that it's in a small box. It's, it's a fairly small game. Plays up to a lot of players. I think it's got a lot of value in that. So I'd recommend giving this game a try if you like betting games or looking for a fun game that plays up to seven. That is Long Shot the Dice Game. All right. Next up, I want to recommend something. So this time I'm going to recommend a Another podcast. I won't recommend any board gaming podcasts because I'm sure you guys all know all of them. <laughs> the, oh, man. Yeah, listen to all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I do like podcasts just as much as I like uh, uh, listening to audiobooks. Um, oh, my God. Thank my you. Entertainment. Thank you for saying that. I, pr- I, I appreciate I that. I said that, sarcastically. I don't. I'll, the win's a win. <laughs> People out there know what I'm talking about. Win's a win. <laughs> One of my favorite podcasts is called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And they're just a bunch of nerds that talk about science and, and skepticism in um, like uh, health. One of the uh, the hosts is a doctor and he talks about a lot of the things that people believe that aren't true. And, and it's all like evidence-based. I think it's really good. Um, a lot of people don't realize like how much how much stuff is not real. You know, it's a it's a big part of our conversation now. How much of the information that we've believed our whole life is just made up, right? And he they talk about like studies that have actually proven this or not proven it in this, especially in medicine and, and sciences. 
like one of the things, and they talk about too, um, the dangers of believing misinformation. So there's a story that they had told years ago about this guy in India who claimed that his leg was magical. And if you rubbed his leg, you would get your wish or whatever you wanted, you know, give you whatever magic that would help you. And people believed him and, and somebody came along and cut his leg off so that they could have his magic leg. Like that's the harm that believing in these silly things can do. And I really like learning about that type of thing. If you like science um, and, and, you know, skepticism and, in uh, science-based medicine, that type of thing, I definitely recommend the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, and they've been around for quite a few years. They're they're like an I guess an amateur podcast. I don't think they they have a company behind them or anything. I think they produce them themselves, but they've been around for about ten years or more, so they they're really honed in. It's, it's a good show. What is the what is a recent medical one? Just curious. Um. Oh, all the COVID stuff, right? The ivermectin that people are taking. Isn't um, that the, the that horse tranquilizer or whatever? The horse tranquilizer. <laughs> like, why they kind of go through the science, like, of uh, the studies that have been done, and show like why it, why doctors are not recommending it because this they have done studies that show that there's no benefit to taking this, you know. And of course, they talk a lot about vaccines because vaccines are often perceived as dangerous or, um you know, some negatives to them. And so they talk about the science behind vaccines and also about um, the different biases people have. And they also talk about logical fallacies. So like a logical fallacy would would be uh, appeal to authority or, you know, this is true because somebody in authority has said it's true. That'd be a logical fallacy opposed to this is true because there is science behind it and the per- this person in authority is using the science, right? That that would make it true. But somebody just being an authority saying it's true does not make it true. So the, all the different kind of logical fallacies, which is really fun to learn about because I don't realize I I use them as well, you know, like straw man fallacy, stuff like that, that you can um, teach you how to make better arguments. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the whole vaccine thing is kind of an interesting gig because everyone was so mad about or skeptical about how quickly it came. Mm-hmm. And the reason why vaccines take so long is not so much like that's how long it takes. It's just based on funding. Mm-hmm. You need money and you can't move into the next phase until you've published and get more money. And But with COVID, everyone was just throwing so much money at it that they had an unlimited supply that they could just do that stuff. but Yeah, there's there's a lot of history behind that. And, and it's it's interesting to talk about. And it helps make you a better critical thinker, you know. I mean, so often you see, like, people, like, seeing something online and sharing it. Like, not checking its sources, not seeing if it's true. I'm like, everything, there's, like, everything about this paragraph, like, makes no sense. Like, nothing here oh, is fat, based yeah. on any kind yeah. of reality. You know, it's it's bad. You, you just it's so easy to share misinformation, and and I like learning about it. And in fact, that's how I got into the show. So I don't know how exactly I found it, but I was listening to a hippie show about um, like organic eating and all um all that stuff about. And they had an episode this or, this organic show I was watching had an episode about all the other benefits of um drinking unpasteurized milk. And then that same week, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe did an episode about why why milk is pasteurized what's the health benefits of having it pasteurized and i was like oh and that really changed my mind and and got me down they talked a lot about organic too and like how organic food really has no health benefits and um i thought that was really interesting that stuff that i would have cared about in the past and didn't realize i was being duped you know it's the age of social media you know my brother's cousin's friend said it's 
right on Facebook, so that must mean it is right. Right, right? And, and you think it's natural and better, and it's not. That doesn't mean it's healthier for you or better. And and there's a lot of downsides to organic farming and whatnot. You know, it's it doesn't use the pesticides, so they use they use up more soil, and it takes long. You know, it takes more resources to get these things to grow. And the advantages to GMO, like that's another thing that they talk a lot about too, is is GMO dangerous? And I don't want to. If that's something that you're interested in, by all means, don't check it out. But if you are interested in science based, um, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, you were going oh, down well. that rabbit hole like real quick. It just I know I, I can, I was I can about talk to... about this stuff. I learned, <laughs> and I learned it mostly by watching the show. You know, and it's, it's a by watching the show by you listening listen, listening to the show. You just Sorry, don't Bob. know how you just you you read books via audio. You mm-hmm. watch audio Podcast. podcasts. You're just your semantics are all off. Oh, uh, that's that's because I'm not good with words mostly. Yeah, you're pretty bad at it. But I do think that reading and uh, listening to an audiobook is the same as reading a book. So it that's is, the hell I'll no, be willing to it's die not. In. It's not. It's not the same. It's not the same. You're listening to a book. You're not reading it. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we're gonna come back, we're gonna argue the semantics over reading books or listening to books. No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna do our top 100. <laughs> Welcome back. We're now going to be getting back into the board game shenanigans top 100 games of all time. We're going to be doing 80 through 71. Yep. And just a quick reference of how we came to this list. Natasha uh, talked on in the last couple episodes. I'm going to give you a brief overview just so she can have an opportunity to not speak and mess up her <laughs> words. Because uh, <laughs> you're going to because I don't know what the I don't know what the list is. So she's been kind of. She she was in charge of all this, but what we ended up doing is I did a top 100. She did a top 100. It ended up being like 150, 160 games we both did. And what she basically did is she brought the two lists together and you got a certain amount of points depending on where you sat in the list. So if you were one, you got 99. If you were at 100, you got zero. Mm-hmm. And she basically added them together to create a score. So if, for example, my number three game of all time Natasha's never played, nor will she ever, but it can still be represented in this list based on that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a little bit how Natasha came about creating this list. It's a combination of the two of ours. So I guess let's just get right into it. Go ahead. Hit us with the first one. All right. Well, I'll give you a little heads up. This is a Bob heavy list. These are a lot of Bob's favorite games. Perfect. The There's good games. There's one game that we that are in both of our top 100 lists and the rest of them are one or the other. So it's pretty divisive this list is. This All right, section let's do of this. List. All right. First one up is number 80, one that we both like quite a bit. Bob likes it a little bit more than me, and that's Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Bob, why don't you tell us about this game? So, yeah, this is a game by Portal Games where you basically are getting faction decks and then you're playing your faction based off of this deck and you're acquiring resources and you're able to, uh, you're basically trying to score points and every faction does it slightly different. Mm -hmm. And I think what I really like about this game is you can play the different factions and just feel slightly different games amongst each of them. Yeah, I like that it was midway. It was cutesy. Like I liked the artwork. I thought it was really cute and fun. I had a lot of fun playing this game. Yeah, it uh, it's they took Imperial Settle Settlers and kind of streamlined it. I would say is the best way to describe it. And they're still. I haven't seen them come up with a new faction in a little bit, but 
They did the Romans. They did the Egyptians. They did uh, a variety of other ones. The base box comes with a, a handful of these different factions. And like I said, some of them are more difficult to play than other ones. It's It does some really interesting things with that deck because each deck feels slightly different. And that's, I think, what I really like about this is that you can you can explore a new deck and explore new strategies in it. All right. That's our number 80, Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. So number 79 is a favorite of mine at 34, and Bob doesn't like it. It's at 154, which really surprises me. This is Concordia. Bob, why don't you like Concordia? Everybody loves that <laughs> oh, game. I know. Everyone, everyone loves Concordia. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves Concordia, don't they? Um, That is a good question. I've uh, To be completely transparent, I have played Concordia one time. Oh, okay. And it was at Grand Con uh, pre-COVID, and it was a very poor play of it. Gotcha. So our friend Marty and I, it was our first time playing it, and we played it with six people. We Ooh. were both, the bo- and the tables at Grand Con are just basically like those folding tables. So we were basically all pushed all the way over to the one side, so I could barely, I couldn't even see the other side of the board. Mm. And seeing other people's cards are really important, what they have laid out in front of them. Well, and then you're you're trying to like one of the concepts is at some point you're you're building your own scoring cards off the thing, and mm-hmm. I don't know if I it was difficult to hear too during the the teach, so it just it I didn't have a positive all right, experience. All right, playing so it. here's 154. I I suspect it will change. Let's play this again. Let's. I bet you will enjoy it quite a bit more. This is a classic game, and I typically say you don't need to go back and play classic games like they're just better now but this one is still really really good it's ugly it looks old but it plays so good it's so streamlined it's a nice you know mid to heavy i'd say more in the mid but not quite mid and it's definitely not heavy but it, in in between there euro game and it's just it really holds its own for the time and i'm going to make you play it again cuz i do own it so i can i can bring it and we'll play it all right, I'll I'll give it I'll give it another shot. I've been saying for years I need to give it another shot, but it yeah. is an older game, so it doesn't see as much play just based on the on based on its age. Yeah, people aren't bringing it out, but every time people bring it out, everyone's like, "Ooh, Concordia! Ooh, I haven't played that in a while. Ooh, that's so good!" Like it it really holds its own. It's definitely worth checking out if you can get your hands on it, um, hands on it, and you want to learn it. If you can try it out before you buy it, but it's still available. You can buy it easily as well. That's our number 79, Concordia. Okay, so I think this I have the exact the exact same thing with this next game, v- vice versa. This, this is Bob's one of Bob's favorite. It's at his 58. And um, for me, it's 132. And that's Viticulture Essential Edition, of course. I've only played it one time. I didn't particularly have a great experience, but I think I would like it if I had played it more. Why did you not have a good experience playing it? Oh, one of the people I played it with complained about it the whole time. They're like, I don't like this game. It's broken because you can just go to this middle section and just trade your goods in and get points that way. And and I, and I was early on when I first started getting into gaming, so I wasn't very good at games yet. And so, of course, I struggled at it. This game has actually dropped quite a bit over the years for me. I think it used to be in my top, like, 20. And mm-hmm. it's it's dropping. But I still like it, especially with the expansion board kind of gives you now instead of doing two seasons, you have four seasons. It does a a little bit of a really small section of area control on the bottom where you're able to just it's more like you're acquiring stuff by placing your stars out on this thing. Uh, Yeah, I I just think it's a it's an interesting, cool 
worker placement game. The Grande worker, I think, is still like a unique thing within it that you have this one worker that can go to any spot over if, as, even if all the spots are filled. And I would say you don't have to actually make wine in the game to score a lot of points because there's cards that will score you points for doing things. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily incentivized to specifically make wine which to some people they're gonna be like well why would you play a winemaking game and not make wine that was my friend's complaint yeah but at the same time it gives you an opportunity to explore other strategies maybe you dabble in both maybe you make a little bit of wine and you're doing you know cards Mm -hmm. so there's there's a way to do it and i think if you i think you can approach this game in multiple ways because of that yeah which i think i think is makes it good yeah, it's one of the, I played it one time, so I just need to play it again, you know. Well, I own it, so we'll get a, we'll have a night of Concordia and Viticulture. I mean, the night that that night is already filled with so many games off this list that we're both like, we need to make sure we gotta get play this again. You <laughs> <laughs> dedicate a weekend. Yeah, we need another. We need another like cabin. Well, weekend. we can invite friends to come play with us, but they can only play games that we want to play. <laughs> Fair, yeah, easy. done. Yeah, hundred percent. It kind of is like that anyway, Wednesday nights when we do our game night. There's times where we walk in there and we're like, all right, we need to play this game. Who's playing with us? Yeah. Like (laughs) Honey Buzz is a prime example. I was like, we were playing this game and it was only the you you and I playing it. Uh Yeah, nobody else had to. Right, right, right. Actually, you want to know, hey, this is what we need to do. I'm going to send it out to the audience. If you want us to try to organize some sort of like mini convention of just board game playing email us and we'll work on it all right yeah that'd be fun all right that was our 78 viticulture essential edition number 77 another one of bob's favorites i like this one quite a bit i'm not not as much as bob loves it and that is king domino oh i love this game so much this has got to be what top 20 for me 55 oh whoops uh It's my 104, so it's still I still like this game quite a bit. I love King Domino so much. I've played so many games of this. King Domino is the best at two-player playing a 7x7 seven seven grid. That's how you need to play it. And then if you get the expansion, you can do some of those like bonus tiles or whatever. I love this game so much. It's just a fun back-and-forth push-and-pull, especially at two-player. Like I, I know it can play three and four. I almost exclusively play this at two-player. Yeah. My wife and I will sit down and play this game four, five, six times in a row. <laughs> you don't get sick of it, huh? No. I still I like, like it. it. Yeah. I don't I don't love it that much. I enjoy playing it, but not I played a lot with my son. It's a great family game. For sure. It's simple but e- easy to learn, but lots of good decisions. Agreed, yeah. Nice little small box. Win win win. I you can get it at Kohl's. I I keep seeing it at Kohl's for like ten dollars. Well and you're drafting t- those tiles, I mean, come on. You're drafting mm-hmm. tiles and you're putting tiles and making like a cool little, yeah, I'm sign me Beautiful up. Beautiful tiles too. They're nice and thick and glossy and have gorgeous artwork on them. Everything about it's great. Yeah, it's, yeah, super good. That is our number 77, King Domino. So number 76 is my game. Um, Bob has not played it. It's number 46 for me. That's the search for Planet X. This is a deduction game. You're trying to figure out where Planet X is on this map of space. You know, and and what's what I like about this game, you everyone has their own information. They know a little bit about a little a little bit about a few things, and everybody else has different information. And then you you use your app, which is kind of cool, and you 
but you can still win the game even if you don't find Planet X because you can get points for finding other various things and you can, you know, try to bluff your way and get people to think that you know things you may not. And I like it. I, I like deduction games quite a bit. And I think this is one of the, the, the better ones. You know, I think I like the space part of it a little bit better than Cryptid. Um, that's the search for Planet X. Probably Bob probably won't play it. I, you know, funny enough, I will actually play that if somebody busts it out. Partly because I don't have to find the thing to win. Encrypted, which is straight deduction. Yes. I have to find the thing to win. In you Planet to, X, yeah. according to you, everyone I've talked to, well, you don't actually have to find the planet to win. Well, if I don't have to actually find anything, I mean, I mean, you gotta find you know, something like, to win. You gotta yeah. get points somehow. You could get a lot of points for finding Planet X. I bet, but a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again, right? Is that the yeah, <laughs> yeah? You can just goes. Yeah, at some point you have to start guessing, and if you don't know, then you got a you might get a fifty fifty chance. You know, maybe you well, I'm gonna I'll, I'll guess all the planets. I'll guess it. I still remember when you guys sat down to play this. I ended up playing something else, and then uh, it just hasn't really. I haven't seen it get taken out and played. Yeah, I mean, I would do it, but I'm also not going to be like, oh, let's go play Planet Search for Planet X. You okay. Know? I know Jeremy owns it, so we should um, bug him and have him bring in make a plan. You want to hear something funny about that? How Jeremy got a copy of that? Uh-huh. So we're at our local game store, and I'm sitting there just chatting with the owners. And Jeremy's wife walks in the store and is like, hey, I want to buy Jeremy a gift of a game. <laughs> and But I can't remember the name of this title. So they're trying to figure it out. And I'm like, it's the search for Planet X. And they both look at it and... They're like, yeah, that's the one. So, Jeremy, you're welcome. You're welcome that I was there. <laughs> that's all Could've I'm saying. Got a bad game. <laughs> yep, I got you. I got you. Okay, speaking of Jeremy, our next game, number 75, is his one of his absolute favorites. It might be his number one. Not that it matters. But um, I like this game quite a bit. It comes in at my 35. and But Bob doesn't like it. 151. That is Rajas of the Ganjas. Again, Bob, why don't you like this game? Oh, man, it's a racing game. That's the reason why it's a racing game. It's Hands not down. a racing game. It's race to finishes. First. It's a racing game. You are trying your best to like be at, it's an efficiency puzzle of trying to get these two things to cross. Okay. Have you played it, played it with Jeremy every time? Yeah. He's really no, good at it. No, not every time. So not every time. It's super annoying. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's just like, yeah, he'll cross and I still am like 40 positions away. That was it. This was my main hesitation with a game like Ark Nova is when I found out that that was the scoring mechanic. I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. Because even though I don't like that type of mechanic, I understand why people adore Rogers of the Ganges just based on how it goes. And you would think a game like that I would love, especially with rolling dice and like, what are you going to do with these dice and how am I going to manipulate them? That type of thing. And normally that would be in my wheelhouse, except you have to get those two things to cross before everyone else. That is the biggest reason. Just, you just need to get the most points than everybody else. That's how all games work, except for it ends when somebody gets those number of points. That's the point. That's the whole thing. Like I'd rather, yeah. It just that's the reason is it's a it's a racing style game. All so. right, all right. Well, I still recommend it. Number seventy five, Raja the Ganges. All right, number seventy four is another one of Bob's favorites, Chocolate Factory. I have not played this one. Oh man, I love this, this game. Does not get enough love. What number is it for me? 44. Yeah, yeah. This game does not get enough love. It's a like a pro I want to say programming, but it's not necessarily programming. It's so what it is is you're converting cocoa beans into chocolate of some kind. So you have a uh 
player board that is a factory and you have these little tiles and they and that are like conveyor belt tiles i guess they're they look like crates anyway you put like a cocoa bean on it and then you move it all forward and then you can activate the machinery that's on either side of it and some machines will turn a cocoa bean into a chocolate chunk and then you take the chocolate chunk and you turn it into you know a car a caramel chocolate or you can turn it into a nut chocolate or you can turn it into you know, bricks, or you can turn it into, you know, box chocolate, that kind of thing. And all you're really doing is moving this stuff around, moving this stuff down, taking these chocolates, converting them into better chocolates, and then fulfilling contracts. So you're fulfilling, there's three types of orders you can do. There's small, medium, and large store orders. And you're basically doing that for the amount of money. Uh, each of the, there's a economy of coal in the game where to run these machines, you have to use coal and you have only so much per day to use. So there's times where stuff is just going to be sitting on the conveyor at the start of each round. You always get something, which I think is good for players to get. You either, you're going to get a special assistant for that round and you're going to get an upgraded piece of machinery. You will always get those two every single round, but it's more like snake draft. Yeah, I don't. I really like this game, and it. I just don't. Nobody talks about it. I yeah. It just. I, is, I, don't, I don't know. Think I I've love heard it. Anybody talk about it at all? Because they're all stupid. That's the reason <laughs> they're all dumb. You know. Well, I want to play it because I love chocolate. So I mean, I'm down. that's not gonna like you're gonna have. I don't know. I'm just gonna I really want to like eat chocolate game. when I play it. Probably. Probably. Yeah. It's. A, I think it's a really good game, and I don't understand why people don't give it give it love. Honestly, but. All right. Well, I'll play it, and then we can review it. Do a full review and. See if I like it too. Yeah, just add it to the list. Uh, yeah, this is list is getting long. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, another one, seventy three that I have not played. Bob's uh, forty three favorite game, and that is Gloomhaven: Jaws of the Lion. I don't know that I'm going to play this one. This one just seems a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Is it probably not worth the effort of me playing it? I, we talked about it, and you said you would will, be willing to give it a try. I mean, I would be, but it also seems so heavy. Is it worth playing one game and? It's like you really need to play the campaign, especially Jaws of the Lion, because what Jaws of the Lion does, as opposed to normal Gloomhaven, is it teaches you the Gloomhaven system over the course of several games. So in the very beginning, it's very basic, like these are the things you can do. And then the following game, they add a little bit more. And then after that, they add a little bit more and add a little bit more until you get until you get the full scope of what Gloomhaven is and how you're able to how robust of a system it is it gives you that over the course of several plays and like i had the original gloomhaven it was just too daunting to put it to get it to the table and play because there was eight million scenarios blah 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 jaws of the line was a very good fit because i was able to play you know 15 games of it we were able to get through the campaign there's four characters my wife and i played it we played two of the characters there's two still characters we've never played so and you can just reset it up and replay it again if you want to. So mm. I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a cool story. I I liked the I liked what it offered as far as you know the card play because the you play a card and there's a number on it and that gives you your initiative. There's an upper action you can do and a lower action you can do. Some things get it enhanced depending on if there's certain uh, like elements in play. It I thought it was a really cool system. All right, that is our number 73, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, Bob's favorite Gloomhaven. All right, number 72 is another one of Bob's favorite. It is on my list, and I have played it, which you'd think I'd like it because it's an Uwe Rosenberg game. That's A Feast for Odin, but I just 
don't love this game as much. He's, it's my least favorite of his games. This is this is your least favorite of his games. Is a feast yeah. for Odin. This is I, like this is like his opus. I know people love it. So don't you know? Take my word with a grain of salt. I find the whole action selection board way too overwhelming. Like it every is. time I sit down to play yeah. it, I have to like relearn it all. It's super. It's super busy. There's like each action. There's four different ways you can do that action, and there's like twenty different actions. It is overwhelming, but it's. I think it's. I think it's rewarding when you dive into it. It is, and I like there's a polyamino part of it, which I really love. That's my favorite part of the game. I what I don't like, I don't like a few of the actions. I don't like the whaling and the hunting action because you roll a dice and see if you get it, and I hate that because I'm like, what if I don't get it? I'm wasting my turn. I have also see, I noticed. Like that. I go for the boats. I get the boats. And then if you flip the boat tile over, it now feeds your people and it's worth a ton of points. I usually always go for that strategy and I end up winning, which feels so, I don't know. It just doesn't feel good because my, my polyamino board isn't that filled out very well, but I just get a ton of points off flipping these boats. I guess nobody else does it so I can get them all. If everybody else went for it, I wouldn't be able to get so many, but I just have not, I just don't enjoy it as much, but a lot of people love it. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a good game. It's overwhelming. There's a lot of different things going on with it. I'm still happy to play it, but it's just my least favorite of his. I just don't see this staying on my list that long just because it just you have to keep playing it and it's not a game I necessarily want to go snag. I would mm-hmm. grab something else of his first probably, but it's still good, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a beast to set up. It's a beast to learn. If you haven't played it in a while, you got to relearn it. It's it's just it's a beast of a game, and if you're willing to invest the time in, by all means, a lot of people love it. It, it is a good game. I can acknowledge that. That's our number seventy-two, a feast for Odin. All right, another one of Bob's favorites. Our seventy-one will wrap it up for tonight. That's Gugon. So Bob, it comes in for Bob at fifty-three, and for me at one thirty-two. I like this game quite a bit. It's got a really unique way you play cards and go to each action space. It's kind of fun. Yeah, this is my biggest surprise of doing my top 100, I would say. Really? Because I included it, yeah, I included it in the list just kind of to see where it would end up falling and I kept clicking it. I we did I did Pub Meeple. Mm-hmm. So, and I kept just clicking it above games. And it the, the funny thing is I didn't own it. Uh Jeremy owned a copy and we had played it and just every time I would compare it to another game, I'm like I really like this game. It has that cool you go to this spot and then you have to exchange the gift for what's there. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you know, sailing around this track and you got a bunch of different things on your player board you're trying to unlock. It just, there's just something about it that like just clicks with my brain that I really like. And maybe it's that whole card manipulation of going to a spot, getting something, setting yourself up so you can go to that spot later and take that, take that offering, giving them something else, just how everything interacts with each other. Like I said, it was my biggest surprise. Because I didn't think I liked this game nearly as much as I did, to the point where when it hit my list at where it did, I went and bought it. Because I clearly I love the game enough that I should probably own it. If it's in my top one hundred, I should own it. Except I don't own a Feast for Odin. Yeah. So that's probably why it's gonna fall. If you don't own it, then you're not gonna play it as much either. But the fact that it's as high up as it is, like yeah, it just there's something about it that just hits what I'm looking for, you know? Yeah. All right. That's our our number seventy one, Gugon. So that's our list for today, number 80 through 71. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk through our next list of games. 
Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. See you next week.